The reading is Mark chapter 6 verses 6 to 30 and can be found on page 1008 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back and page numbers for those are on the screen. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, Leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once, the girl hurried into the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a dish. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a dish. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Steph, for reading that. Uh, Do keep it open. We're going to spend a few minutes looking at it. Um, Shall we pray uh, as we do so? Heavenly Father, we've just been singing of your grace. So we ask that you'd be gracious to us tonight. Show us of our need to keep turning to you. And Lord, turn us to you by your grace, we pray. Amen. Well, uh, Emily and I have uh, recently been working our way through suits. Uh, Now, I know I'm slightly behind the times. This was uh, released a while ago. Um, But I'm catching up. And 
the problem with watching it now is you kind of got to get over that um, problem of uh, a member of the royal family being in it. And you're kind of thinking, yeah, you are now you know, married to whatever in line of the throne um, Harry now is. Um, I'm not going to give away much about what happens in Suits, but it's an it's American uh, law, drama set around a, a, a law company uh, in New York. Uh, and each episode pretty much res- revolves around a case that the company is working on. Uh, and one of the things that struck me as, uh, as I was watching it is that almost every episode, uh, they serve someone something that's called a subpoena. Now, a subpoena is a document that orders uh, the person who receives it that they must give evidence in whatever case is going on. And what's interesting is that everyone just kind of accepts this. It's just a bit of paper. Yet they accept that they're going to have to do something in response um, to what they've just been given. There's no getting out of it. And... Um, if you've ever had a court summons drop through your door, then you know it kind of gives you that slightly nervous feeling, and you realize you've got to do something. Because there are things in life that demand a response. And the gospel is one of them. That's what Mark uh, is doing here in this, in this passage. He is showing us that the gospel demands a response. There is no getting out of it. Now, I don't know what you thought as we read through the passage uh, and kind of you got this interesting story of, uh, of Jesus sending out his 12 apostles. Uh, and then you've got this story of uh, a messy house party with erotic dancing and murder. I mean, kind of how, how do these, these things fit together? Um, but we know the stories do because of verse 30, uh, where we ended. See, it's not uncommon... Uh, in Mark's gospel, for him to use this kind of sandwich construction uh, in order to show that stories link together. So, uh, the, if you kind of imagine our first slice of bread uh, is the apostles uh, being sent out. Uh, the story of Herod then is kind of like the meat uh, of the sandwich, or, or I guess a vegan alternative if you're out in Chilton. Um, and then the top layer of uh, bread. Um, is that verse 30, where the apostles come back and we kind of join the story um, all together. And so noticing that this is one uh, package that Mark is delivering to us um, helps us to see what the main point is. Because there's one thing that joins all this together. And it seems that the connecting feature is this. Seeing Jesus' message demands a response. Seeing Jesus' message demands a response. Now, the message that goes out in in these stories is one of repentance, uh, of of changing your life from living for yourself and doing things your ways to a full turnaround, uh, to living for God um, and having faith in his Son. Now, remember, that's the the aim uh, of Mark's gospel overall. We looked at it last week, for people to come to repent and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Uh, and we see that here. So in verse 12, the apostles were, um, went out and preached that people should repent. So we've got that they're going out repenting, and Jesus gives them instructions on what to do, depending on how people respond. And secondly, Herod is told to repent. You can see that in verse 18. 
Um, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Uh, John is telling him to change his ways. Uh, and, and that story is there to demonstrate that uh, although Herod may initially try to sit on the fence, as we'll see later, he can't do that indefinitely. You see, in this passage, actually primarily, we're the ones being preached to, not the ones going out with the message. We're the ones who need to see that a gospel demands a response. So how does the the story unfold? Let's take a look at this. Um, So last week we saw that Jesus was rejected uh, in his hometown. Uh, And so after that, he leaves and goes on from village uh, to village. That's where the story picks up, um, halfway through verse 6. And presumably the apostles uh, have been following him around, listening to his teaching. Uh, And so the next part of what uh, Jesus is training for them is for him to send them out so that more people can hear the message. Uh, you see that there in verse 7. Send them out to different villages. Uh, and they go um, as his delegate. It's his word and power that he gives them authority that they can take this to the other villages. But before they go, uh, Jesus gives them some instructions. Um, so you can see in verse 8, he starts with the instructions about what to take with them, or proactively how little to take with them. They're only to take the essentials for travel, a staff and sandals. No spare clothes, no money, no food, no phone for ordering the Uber to make the journey easier. They're just to go and take this message with the bare essentials. There's probably a couple of reasons for this. Um, Firstly, it's going to be a relatively short but urgent task. So they're to keep moving, spreading the message, not worrying about a comfortable holiday um, or anything like that. Uh, And secondly, self-comfort isn't as important as Jesus' message. But there's a third reason which we'll see um, in a moment. Because once Jesus has been um, clear on what they should take, uh, then he prepares them for the two different responses they may get. So firstly, uh, some may accept the message. Let's look at verse 10. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. If you imagine one you're, you're one of the villagers um, and you've, you've heard this message of repentance, inviting the guys in to your house who have said this is surely a sign that you've accepted the message. You want to hear more. Um, you're giving hospitality to strangers. Uh, there must be a reason for wanting to invite them in to find out more, that you're intrigued by what they, what they have to say. You, you want to hear more about this Jesus, and you want to uh, respond to what he has to say. You're accepting the message. And, and from the apostles' point of view, uh, they weren't to uh, keep moving from house to house. Once someone invited them in, they were to stay there, not go on looking for somewhere more comfortable but to stay with those who wanted to hear what they had to say for those who were accepting the message. See, this is probably another reason that they they weren't meant to take too much stuff with them, because it was going to be provided for them by those who accepted what they have to say. And it's clear, if you look at verses 12 and 13, I think that some villages did accept the message. They went around preaching, and they did these miracles. And given the fact that Jesus in his hometown 
wasn't able to perform miracles uh, because he'd been rejected. Well, the fact the apostles were able to perform miracles is probably a sign uh, that their message had been accepted. So one of the responses Jesus prepares them for is that the message will be accepted. But he also prepares them that the message may be rejected. Um, We see that in verse 11, that they're not going to get this universal acceptance. Look at verse 11 with me. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. This is a big warning sign uh, for those around Shaking off your dust uh, off your feet was something a, a devout Jew would have done um, as they left a non-Jewish country. It was kind of their way of, uh, of disassociating with the foreign land. Um, and ultimately, that they considered that foreign land under judgment. So it's kind of like, you know, they're, they're walking away, they shake off the dust. I just don't want any of your dirt to come with me. And so as a Jew watches an apostle do this as they leave their town, they would have known exactly what it meant. That apostle considers them to be a pagan place that is ultimately under God's rejection. Because they've rejected, they'll have to face God um, because of it. Now, of course, the hope was that as this dust kind of was shaken off, that a village would see it uh, and they'd be sprung into life, uh, realise um, that what they had done was wrong and reconsider the message. It wasn't that it was completely too late, but it was a war- big warning sign to them that at the moment they're rejecting that message. It's a bit like um, if you're, you're driving down the road and you pass one of those uh, speed cameras that tells you how fast you're going, and then if you're going over the speeds, uh, it shows you a sad, a sad face. Not that I've ever seen one of those, of course. <laughs> but that sad face is there, isn't it, to show you you're going too fast, uh, and if you keep going too fast, then you're in danger of an accident or in danger of being held under judgment by the police. Well, you can't imagine this shaking off the dust is like that sad uh, warning face um, to the village. You're rejecting God's message. You're rejecting the message to repent. So as Jesus prepares his apostles, the 12 that he's sending out, he's only expecting one of two responses. There's, there's no third option in there. We're either going to accept the message, which will be seen from the hospitality given, or they are going to reject it and have the dust shaken off before them. And actually, that's the only two options that we have, ultimately, for the message of Jesus when it comes to us repenting. We can either accept it or we can reject it. And that's where Mark then comes to this story of Herod and the risk of trying to sit on the fence. The risk of sitting on the fence. Now, as we go into these verses, it's worth noting actually just how they work. Because if you've just read them for the first time, you may have noticed that they're out of chronological order. 
Um, So Herod's response uh, in verse uh, 16 um, that he thinks John the Baptist has, uh, might be raised from the dead, uh, is sparked by the news in verse 14 that, uh, of what Jesus and his apostles are doing. So that, that kind of section follows logically on. But the thing is, Mark hasn't yet explained to his readers that John is dead. The last time that we saw John, he was in prison. So John then kind of steps back in time in verses 17 to 29 to show how John was killed. And I think Mark has deliberately waited until this point um, to tell us about John's death in order to make this point about Herod, to show that hearing the message of Jesus demands a response. Because Herod tries to sit on the fence. And ultimately, that's not going to last. So we see, as we uh, see... as we work through these verses, we see Herod sitting on this fence. He's, he's torn between John and his wife. So John, as I said, has been telling Herod to repent. And you see that in verse 18, that he's got this unlawful marriage that he needs to turn away from. Now, kind of understandably, Herod's uh, new wife, Herodias, isn't best pleased to hear this. She kind of quite likes her new husband. Uh, he's quite powerful. Um, he's got lots of money. Uh, and, and so... Um, she doesn't want him to get rid of her. So together, they get John thrown into prison, uh, and look at verse 19. Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. So Herod, in the one ear, has got Herodias saying, you should kill John, you should kill John. Go on, just kill John. But then in the other ear, he's got John himself. But she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Herod liked to listen to John. Maybe he had that feeling deep down that he knew he was doing something wrong. Yet he didn't quite want to act on it because he's enjoying his sin a little bit too much. And so he's torn. What's he going to do? He's not going to give in to Herodias' murderous demands because he likes John too much. But he's also not going to give in to John's demands to end his marriage because he likes Herodias too much. So he kind of just makes no decision at all and sits on the fence. I mean, sometimes we think sitting on the fence is a good thing, don't we? We're a tolerant society. Everyone's views should be equal. Uh, No need to take sides. But that can't be true of everything. Let me give you another example from Suits. Um, When uh, a case does finally make it to court, the jury has to make a decision, whether it's clear or not. So you get in the courtroom, your main main lawyer, Harvey Specter, kind of making this case that you know he's not going to lose because he's Harvey Specter and he never loses. Uh, And you get some other kind of uh, guy trying to put his case across uh, and they're arguing back and forwards. Um, And at some point, the judge pulls it all together and hands it over to the jury. He must decide in whose favour are they going to go. You see, there's some things in life 
that we want a decision to be made over. A court case is one of them. And so the trouble for Herod is he's about to be put in a place where he's got to make a decision. See, eventually there's going to be only one winner. And he's forced into that decision at a birthday party. Look at verse 21. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. Here's uh, Strabel's painting and depicting the lavish party uh, of Herod in full swing. All the important people there, wine flowing, mountains of food uh, to be enjoyed. Everyone having a good time, except maybe perhaps the servants who are trying to keep up with everything. But, you know, these are the parties are legendary. They're going to be talked about for months to come. And especially this one, because as a party is in full swing, in comes Herodias' wife, sorry, daughter, Herodias' daughter. I mean, clearly sent by her her mother, who's um, spotted this opportunity time, and the girl danced for the dinner guests, and they love it. So they watch this erotic dance going on, the, uh, the boisterous calls go out, and amongst them, Herod adds his own. Um, the king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. I mean, this was a party of huge generosity from Herod. And he extends this to the girl who's pleased him. And he does it in front of all his friends. There's going to be no going back. So look at verse 24. She went out and said to her mother, I mean, it clearly it is the mother who's pulling the strings, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried in to the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a dish. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oath and his dinner guest, he did not want to refuse her. John's fate is sealed. Herod can no longer be sitting on the fence. One quick, thoughtless promise leads to one quick, headless death. And here's the point. Herod had tried to sit on the fence, but it couldn't last. If he'd repented when John first spoke to him, or in fact any of the times leading up to that party, then this would never have happened. Yet he never bothered to make a final decision on what he thought of that message of repentance. And so the decision is taken out of his hands. And so when we're told to repent, can we sit on the fence indefinitely? Sure, you know, we need to take time to uh, investigate, to think about the message, uh, to pray about it. But at some point, surely we've got to respond in one way or the other before it's too late. And for some tonight, maybe we need to hear that and make a decision about Jesus for the first time. Are we going to turn from living our way and turn to living for him? Maybe we've been trying to put it off. 
Yes, keep in, yes, you need to keep investigating. There's always more we can find out. But at some point, you have got to make a decision. Am I going to follow Jesus or not? Many of us here have made that decision, uh, and we know it's the best, the best way to live. We are forgiven. We're saved fully and finally. But if we have accepted Jesus, we also know that God doesn't want to leave us where we are. He wants to change us, and our life is uh, going to be a constant repent, uh, repenting of turning away from different sins and trying to live more and more for the Lord Jesus. We still need to hear that message of repentance. And actually, maybe there's a sin in our lives where deep down we know it's wrong. We like listening to what the Bible has to say. But we don't want to change our actions. We've become like Herod. Not that we're going to behead someone. But we like listening. But we're not going to do anything about it. You see, it might be easy to compromise for a while. But in many cases, those small compromises will start to take over. And then it becomes harder. Harder to turn back. And so Mark wants us all to see as we read through his gospel and we see Jesus that we need to respond. Ultimately, as we uh, work our way through and you get in the gospel, really what Mark wants you to say is, am I going to accept or am I going to reject? And of course, what he wants everyone to do is repent and believe the good news. That's what we all want. We all need to do it. We all fall short. We all need to repent and believe. But that's exactly why Jesus came. Because people needed saving. And like Herodias wanted John dead, but had to wait for the right opportunity to do so. So the priests and the scribes wanted Jesus dead and had to wait for the right opportunity to do so. Like Herod gave in to peer pressure and reluctantly gives order to have John killed. So Pilate gives in to peer pressure and reluctantly gives orders to have Jesus killed. Like John's disciples took his body and laid it in the tomb, so Joseph of Arimathea takes Jesus' body, his dead body, and lays it in a tomb. Like John told Herod to repent... But Herod turned violently against him. So Jesus told the world to repent. But the world turned violently against him. See, unrepentance took Jesus to the cross, as we're about to remember. But that death, That death means that all who now repent know we have the good news. You see, when Jesus comes to his Father and reports all that he has done and taught, then he'll present us, those who have turned to him. And he says, here they are. My restored, forgiven, spotless children They've turned to me. Now welcome them in with you. Shall we pray?
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good news of the Lord Jesus who came to earth, who died and rose again, who paid the price so that we can be forgiven. Lord, help us to turn to him in repentance and faith, knowing that he will bring forgiveness and knowing that it is good news. May we not uh, sit on the fence tonight about what to do about Jesus, but may we come to him knowing his message demands a response. Amen.